Welcome back to the Four Gardens Podcast. In this episode, we'll continue focusing on health, which is the first garden in the Four Gardens approach to self-cultivation. Today, I'm joined by Yona Levy for a conversation about mental health and meditation. Yona guides people back to peace and from there to thriving through counseling, coaching, business wellness consulting, and group leadership. Yona has worked with thousands of clients from all walks of life, helping them move beyond inner blockages and optimize their lives. He has been practicing and teaching mindfulness and meditation for over two decades. In this conversation, I was grateful to learn more about Yona and his background, as well as about mindfulness and uh, counseling, because he's someone in the community I've admired for a while, his teachings, and I followed him. And I had no idea he had this troubled childhood where he was actually shot twice in two different incidents he describes and suffered really intense pain. So this is a little bit different to this episode. We go a little deeper into his backstory and what brought him into these practices. Uh, Ari, how did this conversation meet you? This conversation was very impactful because it mirrored to me how important healing elements of the past is. And particularly with this one, it has to do with the teenage years, which I know I moved to Israel at 12 years old and, and I had uh, troubles adapting to this uh, new world I moved into and there was an uh, element of struggle and pain. So it, it reminded me of how important it is it, it is to go back, but not just to the to the ch to child years, but when you're growing up and developing from 12 to 18. So there's a lot of gold and, and lessons that I wish I would have known then. And I think it'd be really helpful to share with the younger generation on the importance of meditation, uh, mindfulness and spirituality as well as a form of relieving the pain and stepping into healing and thriving. I think it's very relatable. I, I certainly relate to the suffering during those early teenage years. I think it's very common to just feel things so intensely and be shaped by those experiences. And the, the intensity that Yona had of being institutionalized uh, for his mental health, for his behavior, then is something that I think really, and then where he took that, I think is really an inspiring story of going from that institutionalization to being really a, a healer himself and a leader in the community. It's a great example uh, for season two of what health can look like uh, through so, in someone's story, what a life really lived engaged with mental health. Uh, can look like. So he's definitely, um, it's definitely an inspirational and instructive story for us. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited for this episode. And before we jump in, I want to remind people to like and subscribe here to let us know what you think about the episode. Give us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really helps us grow this. Um, just always love your input and reactions. However, feel you feel inspired to share that. Let's jump right in with Yona. Yona, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Really glad to be here. I'd love to learn more about you and how you got started on your path with counseling and meditation. Just want to hear more about your journey and learn about you. Sure. Yeah, that's a, a great, great question. Um, well, that happened um, closer to 30 years ago. Um, I was a kid 
in a lot of trouble. Um, things got pretty tough pretty early on for me, um, but my my parents split up when I was 12, and that was really uh, challenging for me. But how I dealt with it was, one, I wasn't aware that it was really ch challenging me, but I was skipping school. I was getting into drugs. I was getting into fights. Um, I was getting suspended. I was um, super self-destructive um, in many ways. And what resulted was not long after that time, I spent a year away from my home in different facilities. Um, the last of a handful of them in that, in that year, I ended up meeting a therapist who I connected with and not right away. I didn't like him at all at first. Um, but what happened was I began to trust him and in part I was playing the game of, um, you know, doing the things that you're supposed to do to look like you're, um, willing and making progress so you can get out. Um, but the side effect was I started to feel happier than I ever had felt before. I ever remembered feeling before. Um, so this included things like family therapy as well as, um, individual and group therapy. Yeah, um, what was, what was happening yeah. inside you then when you were, um, you, you know, you talk, it sounded really painful, the divorce and yeah. the behavior yeah. issues before, before you got to started to receive that healing, that happiness from him. Mm -hmm. What was the, what was the pain? Uh, yeah. The quality of it. Well, I was super angry. I was really angry. I didn't, I didn't know as much. I wasn't as emotionally intelligent to know what was happening. Um, internally as much as I was just really, really defiant. Um, you know, I looked for opportunities to do, um, everything that I wasn't supposed to do and to confront people and to, um, verbally fight. Um, I remember I was, um, some of the ways I would act out was I would, you know, write on the walls or in the books in class. Um, Another part of that whole story is um, I grew up on the edge of a good neighborhood in a not so good neighborhood. Um, and I dealt with a lot of things that were really challenging, like bullying, like, um, you know, I, I got robbed more times than I could count as a kid, you know, including by gunpoint. Um, and and that, that comes to a later part of, of my story. It was, it created a lot of pain and a lot of anger in me, in addition to also this family stuff that was happening. Um, but the, the fast forward to, I'm, I'm now 14 years old and I'm in this program that I was telling you about. It's a residential program working with this therapist and things are getting better. I'm having conversations with my dad, um, with my, my stepdad, with, uh, with people that I wasn't at peace with, with my stepmom even. Um, but not long after I left, I wanted to, you know, just sort of reassimilate or just kind of have some sense of belonging. But the places that I was, uh, where I was living and going to school, um, the people that were around me were getting into a lot of trouble. And um, not long after going out, I was threatened, um, you know, like physically threatened. I was someone 
essentially said, uh, you know, in a car full of people, you know, I, I shouldn't be in this neighborhood, which was another neighborhood worse than mine. And, you know, threatened, threatened me saying, you know, I was lucky that I got to keep my coat and it's the winter. And so I returned with a gun. Um, and I didn't, I don't know exactly what I was planning on doing with it, but I was impulsive and also just didn't, didn't want to be bullied anymore. Didn't want to be taken advantage of because I was talking about that history. Um, longer story short, I take that gun into the bathroom of a rec center and I try to take the bullet out of the chamber, which I do, but I do it hastily and I pull the trigger and a bullet goes through my palm, ricocheting off the other bullet I've taken out. And that goes right through my, my jacket and, uh, blood squirting all over the place. I'm, I've never been shot before. Um, I'm, I'm more than concerned. Um, but I also, um, had the wherewithal to go to this, go to the first person I could see that worked there and say, call an ambulance. I, I, I just been shot. I just shot myself. So <laughs> that was, um, an interesting, interesting time. That's how I originally got on probation as a kid. Um, and I didn't quite get the lesson. So a little bit deeper into the story, um, Basically, the bullet travels in such a way that it's purely a flesh wound, no, no lasting damage whatsoever, no infection, nothing. It heals up really well in like a week or two. Um, and somewhere um, a little bit before this, I had met, uh, essentially it was a family of, of, of people. No, it wasn't like it was actually a family. Um, and it was in this this tougher neighborhood that I was just wanting to fit in with, you know, just wanting to find a friend's group, find a, find a place. And I'm 14 and impressionable and also not knowing really who I am as well. And, um, I had this dirt bike, um, from my bar mitzvah money, you know, this, this electric dirt bike and I'm letting people ride it around. I rode it over there and I letting people that I don't know, try it. One person takes it and never comes back and later comes back and, um, says he was robbed and that wasn't the case. Um, I spent the night at this, this family's house and the next, um, day or two, they call me and they say, we got your bike back and we made this guy's face look like a basketball. And I'd never had anyone really have my back like that. And so immediately I thought these are people that I want in my life. What I also would learn is these people were Mm. they had big hearts, but they also had a long history of abuse. And some of them had, you know, a history of other things that maybe I don't want to, you know, talk about here. Um, but they, they had gone through some pretty tough stuff. Um, and also done some pretty crazy things to other people. And fast forwarding a little bit after this, this flesh wound to my hand. And, and the lesson that I thought I learned was don't play with a loaded gun or don't point it where you don't want to shoot. Um, I learned later that the lesson more was this is not at all, um, where I want to be putting my energy. Um, one night, one of the, one of the brothers from this family is who I've become closer friends with comes over to my place 
with a much larger caliber gun. And this is um, tying into some of the reasons why I do what I do, but it was a really painful lesson. Um, we were playing with the gun, you know, just like occasionally pointing at each other, but I would do that when the gun was empty. Um, and then we were going to go to a neighborhood to buy some weed, which is my neighborhood, you know, across the street. And he said, if we have any problems, I've got this. And I knew he had the ability to use it like he would use it. And I also thought, of course, we're going to have a problem. The moment that I put my jacket on to, with intent to, for us to go outside, the gun goes off in my face and my ears kind of like go from a ringing silence to hearing him screaming, oh shit, oh shit. And I'm on the ground, my body is limp and he's asking me where I was shot. And um, I was shot the bottom of this line. You can't see it as well from here, but I was shot in the neck and it bounced off my first rib and the bullet got stuck behind my spine. And um, I, uh, I thought I was going to be quadriplegic. Uh, that night I got medevaced to uh, DC Children's Hospital from Alexandria. And um, not too long after I gained the function of my legs, um, which I was really grateful for, but it was a really dark time. Um, they, uh, they kept me in the, the hospital for four days, which, you know, I was very woozy and had a collapsed lung and I'm sort of like a drain and a machine kind of pulling all the, all the fluids out of my body so that my lung wouldn't collapse or recollapse. And, um, and the, the long of it was, um, the, the thing that really was, a was a lasting consequence was this hand doesn't work as well. This is the one that I shot myself in the hand by accident and it was just a flesh wound. And two months later, you know, I get shot in the neck and the only effect is my, my hand doesn't work as well. And to me that was, although I had no spiritual understanding, I, I was, a, uh, I was, I used to draw quite a bit and considered myself an artist and I, and I drew this picture of the whole event and wrote divine intervention. I didn't know what that meant. Um, that'll make a spiritual man out of you. Yeah. Uh, I mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's, oh, it did, I guess it didn't set in right away, but it sounds like no, there was, no, the so it was were planted there. It was, it was a slow process, but you know, it seeds as, as you know, you know, sometimes they take a while to get to the point of actually a big fruitful plant. Um, especially when you're 14 and, uh, I just wanted to reflect <laughs> yeah. back how, I mean, going, well, there's a lot to say about, about the the gunshot wounds too. And I want to hear yeah. more about them, but also just earlier in the story too, how much hearing how the, you know, there's the divorce and the, um, the taking the firearm uh, to me, it was just yeah. sounding like there was a real powerlessness in you then, or like taking control seemed to be like mm. what I was kind of hearing too, of like in the anger, the defiance of like being able to, uh, take that back or something. Is that, yeah. Is that, is that part of this for you, that journey? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, there was also a real longing to not be a victim, you know? So there were a couple yeah. things happening at one time. Um, you know, like I, I didn't, ha I didn't want to hurt people. I just wanted not to be hurt anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, that was a, that's safety a big distinction. Too. What's that? I'm trying to find that safety with that other family too. Or who's going to protect me. Who's got my back. Um, right. 
there's like right. that combination of that wasn't there for you or you didn't feel that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, after that, I, you know, as you'd imagine, I dealt with some pretty strong trauma. Like I had PTSD and, and it was, it was pretty powerful for me, the experience after, um, I had a lot of shame around losing a part of my body. And I felt like I was only a partial person, like a partial version of myself. Um, cause losing the, you know, the appearance of one arm looking different and one hand looking different than the other. And, um, it was hard, but not long after that, um, you know, I, it was, it was messy and it, there was a lot of things happening. I ended up violating probation and going to detention and, um, I kind of wanted to as like a, a rite of passage and it was silly. Um, but it wasn't that much fun once I got there. It was, you know, didn't want to keep going there. Uh, and then I, I kept getting into trouble and I was asked, you know, what I would like to do essentially. And I said, I want to go back to this place where I was, I remember being happiest, which, you know, was this residential facility. You know, it was a, actually a beautiful place. Um, out in Leesburg in the top of a kind of the top of a mountain. And, um, and I wanted to really get serious about, you know, what I could do to change my life. I didn't immediately go there and, you know, do that, but it wasn't long before I did. Um, and I really embraced this now as this this therapeutic thing actually works therapy actually works and i can um i can work with this person who i trust the same person uh, his name is john craig still is john craig um and and if i listen to him and i and i and i do what he's suggesting i feel better uh, my first goal by the way and i asked him because we had these weekly goals was to talk about my hand and uh i i kind of smiled and laughed like, oh, this is challenging, but I'm open. And uh, people talked about how my whole behavior, like how I was changed so much, um, just being willing to do that and doing that and talking about this part that uh, really was a source of shame and pain for me. Um, so a lot happened in between. This is a long version of an answer to the, your question. Um, but between now I'm 15 and I go back home and, and I don't immediately go to the worst parts of town I can find that, that part of town, by the way, I was talking about was called the hole. It might still be called the hole. Um, if you get an idea of what kind of place it was, like it wasn't a great place. Um, and, um, so now I'm seeking friends that are more positive, which, feels kind of weird to me at this point because I'm not used to it. I'm used to people that get into a lot of trouble and I'm used to those being my peer group, those people being in my peer group. Um, and, and I'm making more healthy decisions, you know, things like I'm starting to exercise. Um, actually the first, uh, time I met John Craig, he got me into running and there was actually a running group where we would wake up early and we would run in the morning together. Um, and, and then I took that home with me and he said, you know, if you just run three times a week for 15 minutes, minimum three to four times a week, um, just do that for two months. Don't ask any questions see how you feel afterwards. And I did. And I remember feeling like 
this is helpful. This moves the needle a little bit. Um, and over time, I, you know, I, I on and off had a relationship with him afterwards, um, you know, a therapeutic relationship. And, you know, I didn't right away go to go to college. I spent a year um, working a sort of menial uh, job uh, right out of high school and, and didn't really think about college. But then I realized I don't want my life to be this. And so I, I got myself into college and I thought, what do I want to study? And I wanted to study what was so impactful in my life. I mean, um, around the same time of me starting, John did something amazing, which was when I went to started, started school, I talked to him and he, he said, come see me, you know, come see me once a week on my lunch break. And he didn't charge me anything. He just saw me, which is, you know, like, I, I, I can't tell you how grateful I am for that because it really made a huge difference in really seeing me through. It wasn't like a, a straight path by any means. Um, but as I would talk to him and learn and listen and, um, and continue, I started to study psychology and, and thought, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to help people and give back what I've been given, which in this case is a life worth living. Um, and hearing the yeah. story too, for a second is just remarkable that, uh, how the impact this had on you going to this facility that was out in the country and then having this man in your life, like something I want for everybody, but it's just a case study mm -hmm. and like, what is possible with a troubled teen, you know, that you're, yeah. you're someone, a lot of, I look up to other people, you know, you're, you're a leader in the community and you're helping so many people, but like had no idea you were shot twice and no idea yeah. their level of suffering you went through to get to where you are. And just to see how just having that one person take interest in you, make a time on his lunch break and be there for you yeah. that way. Like how that's so transformational. It's really moving to me to hear, yeah. hear the impact he had on you. So I just want to reflect yeah. that. Thanks. Yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, I, he's like a living angel in my life. Um, just such a wonderful, wonderful man who also, he, he modeled like just deep integrity. Like he didn't take shit, but he loved harder than anybody, you know, and he, had, like he understood ethics, which a lot of people sometimes have loose ideas around. Um, and you know, he, what he said, he did in full integrity. And these were really important, um, lessons for me because what I didn't know at the time was I was also learning how to do it by working with him for years and years. Um, now he studied under, uh, Carl Rogers, uh, one of the founders of the humanistic perspective of psychology. Um, so he was directly with him and he had a real unique way of really, really showing that he understood. And that was, that was powerful. Um, like just being understood. Hmm. Um, do you use the word mentor to describe him too in your, in your life? Is, is he your mentor? Or is this, does that apply for you? Um, certainly partially like, uh, he's a lot of things. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, you could certainly call him a mentor as well. I just think about with with coming of age now and having a man yeah. like it's, it's it is pretty uncommon to ha have that role model mentor that man in your life who is because i can also feel how he um or it's pretty clear how he impacted your career 
trajectory of the yeah. rest of your life. So what yeah. I mean is there's all the, of course, that immediate shorter term change of uh, seems like it's lasted of life is worth living. You know, that perspective yeah. I heard yeah. you say that he brought you, but then yeah. in other ways too, it sounds like it was a multifaceted kind of impact he had on you, multi-layered. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was, he was amazing. Um, and uh, you know, it's interesting cause I, I leave out a part that's, that's pretty important about this not being a straight line. Um, things got better when I, when I left, uh, the place that I was in, it was called Graydon Manor. Um, when I left there at 15, things got better for a while. Um, I went to an alternative school cause at this point I was expelled from public school, but, um, I ended up, um, like going through kind of some emotional roller coasters for lack of a better word. And at a certain point, my dad and me, we locked horns, um, which we had many times growing up, but we had sort of a, sort of a physical, not like a crazy fight, but like a physical sort of a wrestling situation. And he said, you got to leave my house. Um, and I spent six months of my senior year in high school, um, in a teen shelter. And, um, what's important about this is, you know, me and my dad ended up, um, reconciling and I ended up coming back into his home, which was really good. Cause also that, I don't know where I was going to go, but some of the options that I was uh, considering, uh, at the time would have really set me up. So it's another one of those, wow, everything worked out in a way that supported me, even though it seemed so incredibly crazy. Um, but a few things happened. Um, so I started my career in counseling in a therapeutic foster care agency. And that was while I was still getting my undergraduate degree in psychology. And, and then when I got my first full-time, um, role in the field, I applied to work in this, this teen shelter that I lived in for six months. And I told them on the interview, you know, when they asked me what makes you different than, um, other people. Uh, and I, and I said, because I've lived here and they didn't know that I've lived here and I can show the people that we can actually change our lives and and I can show them that there's hope. Um, and that was, that was a really beautiful, like full, full, like coming full circle. Um, I, yeah. I was going to ask too, coming back to you know, starting that career journey, coming in after this, uh, you've lived there, you said your background. Yeah. How did that, what, what, and I'm already hearing one way, but how did that lived experience of going through these systems and, being a patient and being living there and, and going through everything you went, how did that shape your understanding of mental health as you joined the field and what mental health meant? Yeah. Um, good question. Well, a there's a combination of things. Um, I learned because, you know, really out of necessity, how many different tools there are and how many different parts of, um, mental health, there are like, you know, mental health doesn't start and stop right here. You know, what we think is very important, but what we eat very much affects how we think and how we move our bodies or don't. 
um, who we spend time with and do we have close relationships and even like paying attention to other things like do we have toxicity in our body of some sort and generally all of us do on some level right but um there are so many so many sides of it you know you can't separate the mind or the emotions from anything else um that is in the human experience so how, what i've learned you know both as someone who's needed this and you know to this day i, I use a lot of tools um I, I i just realized that you know we have to be holistic if we want to be well if we want to have mental health we need to be physically healthy we need to we need to do all the things um yeah so separating separating mental health out there does seem to be some value of separating it out in the sense of uh, like at a at a level of I mean, I see, I see why we've done it as a society. And I'm also with yeah. you that it's in everything. Yeah. So interconnected to spirit, to the body, to like, yeah. you know, even root what we eat affects our minds yeah. very clearly how my mood is, how my mind, how yeah. my mind processes it too. And I'm thinking about how, what you were saying before I asked that question too, you were saying how you're coming in and the transformation is possible too, when it comes to yeah. you're in the mental health system, you've been in the system and you've transformed, you've yeah. healed. You were coming in with uh, a perspective of mental health and what's possible too. I, I, I don't know if you describe it as an optimism or as a yeah. maybe it is pr a pragmatic approach to transformation that it's real. It happened to you. Uh, and like yeah. how that is that woven into how you work and how you think of mental illness even? Uh, are you talking about um, optimism? I'm talking about yeah. I, 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 I characterize your perspective as optimism. Maybe you want to use a different yeah. word of yeah. uh, just believing the transformation is really possible. And, yeah, I mean, lived it. Yeah. Um, so I definitely, when people come to me and and they feel, you know, like their situation, they're just stuck in their situation and they don't know how they're going to get out of it. Uh, often I, I'll help them see that there are likely hidden gifts in this real challenge that they are stuck in. Um, and because that's just been my, my experience personally and working with many people, uh, that, you know, loss, you know, of what, whatever it might be, or, you know, things really not working out, um, or, you know, deep anxiety and fear, uh, there often are gifts hiding in these, like including, um, the ability to go deeper and, and use tools that we didn't use before and be happier in the process or also in contrast to the experience of whatever the challenge is. So, yeah. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, that, that helps too. And it, uh, when we're talking about all the tools. It feels like yeah. a good time to segue to, I'm just, as you're getting into mental health in your story, yeah. when is meditation and mindfulness? Cause I, that's how I first know of you. Maybe many people out yeah. there know of you as a meditation teacher. Does yeah. that journey start around the same time? So, um, I was 14 actually, um, introduced to just some progressive relaxation techniques, which I loved. I was actually in grade manner and one of the, uh, one of the counselors there, I think he was actually the director of the counselors. He introduced this technique and I was amazed at how felt, how good I felt after practicing. And so every time I felt a little anxious or often, um, when I had the chance, I would practice this technique and then I just became curious. Um, so th that's where the seed was planted. 
uh, over time, um, I would, I would experience different kinds of meditation and learn, but it, it wasn't until closer to my late twenties that I, I was really having, um, a bit of a crisis, like trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I thought I had to totally have a straight line figured out all the way to the end. And it was insane, but I just, I was in a, I was in a role where, um, I was responsible for close to a hundred uh, people with high needs and, um, it wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, I, I, I had a lot of love for the people that I was working with, but I, I just felt like a burnout kind of a role and I didn't want to make a move too quickly. Um, and then just sort of invest in the wrong place. But I just, I didn't realize that I was creating a lot of suffering, which I was through fear and a looping mind. Um, and so what happened was I, by chance or not, um, got connected with these disciples of a person named Sri Chinmoy. Um, and I'm not like a devout follower or any of that stuff, but they were, they were teaching, um, a meditation course that I became um, you know, interested in. And then I, I started working in this meditation, um, the style of their meditation. Uh, and I really liked it. I felt peace that I hadn't remembered feeling, um, you know, in the longest time. And when the course wrapped, I asked uh, this one, one of the instructors um, to, if I could continue to work with her. And so she agreed and I worked with her week after week and, um, cool story. She's this little woman. She's older. She actually, uh, still owns a gift shop in Cleveland park in DC. And, uh, and the uh, Sri Chinmoy was very into being very physical and challenging the body, uh, especially when it comes to what the mind thinks isn't possible and created this self transcendence race where, it was a 3,100 mile race on concrete in a, on a city block in Queens, um, Jamaica, Queens, New York. Um, so just a couple months of running in a circle. Um, and she was the only woman to have completed that race, uh, year after year, you know, hitting like Guinness books or Guinness records. What was amazing about it was, you know, she didn't brag about it. Somebody else said something about it, you know, to like kind of say, look what's possible. And she credited it to meditation, like just being able to quiet her mind. Um, and um, it became very impactful. I woke up, I was due at work at that time after a commute at 7 a.m. And uh, I would wake up even earlier so that I could meditate every morning. It didn't make everything perfect, but it made things better. Um, and, and that's when I had a renewed um, real interest because of the suffering uh, to really go deep into meditation. And, and so that was, those were, that was one of the influencing, um, times in my life regarding meditation. Um, and over time I just, I kept learning. I, I, you know, did a lot with Tara Brock over the years. Um, I have done a number of Vipassana retreats and practices, um, and just learning all kinds of different techniques of meditation. And, you know, one of the most helpful ones is to uh, just not believe everything that you think. <laughs> um, you know, um, that's, the, that's the big challenge is we have a thought in our own voice, in our head, 
and it's been there over and over and over again. So we just assume that it's true and have all the feelings associated with it. But in meditation to just notice thoughts are moving and I'm what's watching the movement, not the movement itself. Um, it's yeah. That's, that's uh, really well said. That's been my experience in meditation. Uh, Cause yeah. you talked about touching on peace early in your meditation yeah. journey, feeling that experience of peace. And that's great. Yeah. Like I love when that happens, but yeah. I think our, being a daily meditator for some years now, I've realized the real gift is what you just described is that ability to step outside. I heard someone describe it as like not being in the laundry machine going around, yeah, but like with the laundry, but watching the laundry, being able to see the I thoughts. Like and and uh, there's just very simple uh, analogy for me to see that of like, I experienced that in meditation. And yeah, that also brings me peace sometimes to peace that work. And it often changes how I relate to my fear or my other, you know, intense emotions or even not so intense uh, experiences that are spinning through me. It seems to really change things for me. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's amazing when we can get to a point, uh, I think too, I, I love the way you said it being out of the washing machine and not in it. Cause, um, you know, man, we get turned upside down by just our own thoughts, just, you know, just ruminating on our own thoughts. Um, but you know the the magic is it's like if we're just stuck in this one space of the mind and and this familiar space of emotions whatever they might be positive negative often negative um and then we're able to just notice it and in your in your words be out of the washing machine and notice oh there's a room and uh, oh where's this room this room is in a building where's this building it's in a neighborhood where's this neighborhood it's in a city where's this, you know like keep getting bigger and bigger it's like wow i'm it's not just that we, we can experience more space. It's that we are that space. Like that, that's a really awesome ex experience. Um, and it's not every day. Like often we're just in the washing machine, like meditating. So that's an important thing to remember is like a lot of people have this um, idea about meditation that because you're meditating, it's supposed to be quiet here. And that's often not the case. And, and there's not a whole lot of control over what's happening, I think what, what's most helpful is just allowing what's happening and becoming aware and not fighting it, not clinging to some particular outcome or sensation or idea, you know, it can, it can make a difference. Absolutely. I mean, I'll have my regular practice is 25 minutes and I might have mm. 20 seconds at the end. Where I've <laughs> and the yeah. whole time I might have zero seconds. Uh, and the whole time, this is, I think a really, people think, uh, this is, a really good, uh, maybe a misconception of meditation. I'm hearing from new meditators. They need to be in peace. Uh, a lot. If they're, they're not doing it well, they're failing if they're not meditative and, and Zen and I've been doing it for years and I still like, but for that 20 seconds, I feel incredibly grateful like that. Me sitting with my racing, th my thoughts, racing, my fear, whatever it is coming up. Also, I feel like takes the power away. Like the way you described it, I am the room of, I can do something with this now. There's a, there's a, there's a power over it. That if I can be with it and not have to run from it, there is a real facing of the myself, a real, um, I mean, to, it's so easy to distract myself or to, to run away from, from my own thoughts or my own mind. It's, it's like really, I think what we're trained to do in this society is to, um, or I, I've experienced is it's so easy to, to not put my intentions and energy in a hundred different places. And so I think that practice of just, uh, it can be a little bit of a battle. Um, honestly, it's like a warrior path, I think, in some ways, the 
path of meditation of um, really, it's one of the hardest things I do in the day, I would say, with meditating often. Yeah. And the best. Awesome that you're doing it. Awesome that you're doing it every day. That's huge. Uh, but I, so now that we're talking about new meditators and people getting into it, too, I heard how you know your journey, you went really deep into Vipassana meditations, which people don't know. It's a 10-day you know, meditation practice that Ari's also done, who's yeah. uh, can talk about. But people who are starting who aren't at the Vipassana level yet, um, yeah. just getting into it. Like, how do you, I've, been, I've had a lot of people ask me lately about this. Yeah. Um, what do you advice do you give people? Well, um, it depends on the person. Um, I will say one of the best ingredients is pain <laughs> because if you're motivated to, or if someone is motivated to go beyond the pain that they're experiencing, um, they're often willing to do things that are uncomfortable. In this case, meditation is often uncomfortable, but maybe it's less uncomfortable than the pain. Um, but some things that are really helpful, just some sort of key practices I find, uh, to create regularity, same time, same place, um, and to set the bar very low at the beginning. You know, a low bar is wonderful because you can always exceed a low goal. You know, like if you are to, you know, simply start five minutes a day, that doesn't sound like much, but at some point it might feel pretty good. And you might say, okay, five, five minutes a day, I can do that. Then maybe they bump it up to 10, maybe again, 15 um but to go from nothing to 20 minutes or 25 minutes can be really challenging um so an, another thing that can help a new meditator is to meditate in a group um you know things like zoom have have been wild become wildly available um and there there can be a sense of um of being supported but also not wanting to be the one to leave the room um, in person can be even better. Of course, um, it's just not always possible or feasible for different reasons. Um, but doing it with other people, um, that can hold us accountable, um, and keep us kind of in a pattern and establishing a new behavior. Just adding the working with teachers has been the key for me too. I'll just say working with someone like Yona, yeah. I want to add that here that to me, having a teacher and someone to be accountable to, um, has just been critical. So I want to say Yona would be a great person too. And I know Ari has a question. I'm going to pass to Ari now. Hey, it's, it's Ari here. Yona, thanks for sharing everything you did thus far. Uh, I've also practiced meditation for over a decade and have done the 10-day Vipassana retreat. I'm curious to know if there's an impactful meditation session that shifted your life or gave, gave you like a really meaningful perspective in your life. One hmm. meditation that you can uh, share with us. Yes. Um, thank, that's a great question. Thanks. Um, yeah, this, I was talking about that period where I got involved with, um, the disciples of Sri Chinmoy and this woman, her name was Shupabra and she had like a cool given name by her teacher. Um, and I found myself out of that job that I was in for close to two years, you know, creating a lot of suffering for myself. And I, and I learned what that, what that, really was um, after the fact. But I found myself going into a meditation two days after being out of that job. And I had some different intentions. One was to really be of greatest service. And I was fully sincere. I, 
At the time, I said to myself, I'm willing to give up everything to be of greatest service, and I meant it. Um, and then I also thought about my mom, and she had just lost her husband, my stepdad, uh, to cancer, and she was in a lot of pain. And I had a history, like a really painful history with my mom. And uh, and it created like walls around my heart, for lack of better words. And in this moment, I was in this meditation and I just imagined hugging my mom and like, and, and just like, just healing her heart with love. And there was nothing but love. And at the time, my breath changed. I started breathing more heavily and it was, it was like instinctual. And I noticed I blew out a candle in front of me and I opened my eyes for a second and noticed because it had gotten darker. And then I kept going with it. And then as I started breathing more and more and more, I started feeling this energy welling up from the base of my spine and going up to my head. But it was so powerful. It felt like a freight train was moving through my body. Um, I felt it through my extremities. I felt actually energy running off, flowing off my head. And I I'd never had an experience like this before. And I felt like I was sort of dying, but not dying. It's, it's hard to explain. I felt, and these are, these are words that can be, you know, that this is not a religious word that I'm using right now, but I felt like the power of God and I felt like it was coming out from inside of me. And I, I was just crying and crying. I was so touched, deeply touched and, and forever changed by this experience. Um, I came out um, to my then wife and, and shared with her what had happened that came out of the bedroom where I was and and uh, I I just wanted to understand what the hell just happened but it it certainly had such a such a dramatic impact on me I would later like read about Kundalini awakening and and it sounded like that's what it was um, but you know words and labels I feel like cheap and inexperienced and kind of like try to put it into a, a container when this was um something else like it was it was it was a almost a couple of years of holding on to a lot of you know bound up energy and you know a lot of it related to the mind um and believing every thought and creating tons of suffering um and trying to control everything out of fear and and in this moment i none of that was present i was just love and um yeah that had this really powerful effect of wanting to understand what the hell was going on. I wasn't willing to work in another job, uh, you know, for, for a while. Uh, I, um, I was doing some coaching then, but you know, other, other than that, you know, I spent much of my time just taking long walks through, you know, parks in DC or, you know, like all over the city and, and meditating a lot and and like just trying to understand the secrets of the universe as as i was yeah i love that i always really appreciate hearing about mystical unity experiences like that uh, yeah. i think it's yeah it's just i love i love hearing about that and, and i'm grateful you shared it and just curious too and i think it's beautiful how you integrate it because that was going to be my next que question or kind of still is of what how that rippled out in your life after that experience and it, it the choice to not act on it though but to be with it in a way to like stay stay near it in the walks and the meditations 
think that's really beautiful because I, I've also had experiences or strong experiences, you know, and friends using psychedelics, people who have mystical experiences in other ways uh, that I feel like there's a, could be like a rush to take something from it or to change your life dramatically afterwards. And there's a real gentleness. I just want to reflect that back of how you approached it. And I'd like to hear a little more about uh, how it did turn into perspective change or actions for you uh, in the subsequent months or years after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it was interesting because, you know, my, my friends in DC, um, like I would talk about some of my understandings, which were wildly intuitive and spiritual and didn't align with a lot of the people that I was spending time with. In fact, I felt very misunderstood, uh, here in the city. Um, and, um, what I ended up doing, um, just sort of in, in a strange sort of series of events was I ended up in Mexico for a little bit and, uh, you know, just a trip, but I, I went and I met people that understood what I was going through and, uh, and also had things to teach me. Um, where in DC, like people were very much just mind dominated, but there were other people that, you know, were pretty practiced in these different types of meditation, but also just intuitive. And, um, you know, they thought outside of the box in ways that were really nice. Um, now all that said, what's interesting is I've worked with a lot of, uh, you know, companies and, and organizations that probably wouldn't, um, value much around the spiritual that is, is a big part of, um, what I share, but it's not that I, you know, impose my ideas on people, but I just try to invite them to look at things from a, from a greater perspective than just their mind. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm careful about what I share. I mean, I've, I've worked with the house of representatives and the national science foundation and, just on and on a lot of really great groups, but also groups that I wouldn't say I had this, you know, transcendent experience in my body. And maybe you can too, you know, like I, I, I don't lead with that. Um, you know, that this is a nice forum where I get to share some of that. So thank you for that. Well, that's what we do here. Yeah, definitely. It's about the, sh the deep sharing on the podcast and I can relate to that in our work. We work with big corporations, Ari and I, Discovery Channel and, uh, senior living homes and Johns Hopkins. We got to do workshops for people that were definitely not thinking from the spiritual. They weren't leading with the spiritual and mystical. I believe that's in everybody, the spirit. Um, yeah. I mean, our approach was to invite people into to nature, to plants, to connecting that way. And um, I mean, I think the, where we, where I want to bring people is that we are nature, you know, where we want to go. It's, we're our nature, we are spirit. And so, but there's, there's a, meeting people where they are dance. I'm appreciating learning, you know, about in your work of, uh, where do we start with nature? Where do we start with meditation and, and spirit, um, work like that? Um, cause certainly important to me and there's a, there's a real dance there to be done. So what was your, what was your strategy going in to, uh, political chambers here, rooms <laughs> in DC or corporations? How do you bring it? Well, I, you know, I think it's important. Um, good teachers have taught me to speak a language that people understand. Um, so, you know, I, I, I try to gauge what it is that people can connect with. And I, I share what I think is most valuable to them based on that. I mean, obviously science heavy 
uh, not obviously, but science heavy um, uh, presentations where I can say this study pointed to that. And in this situation, um, this was helpful for groups of people and et cetera. Um, and there was a combination of things. There has been a combination of things that I've shared um, over the years uh, around holistic wellness. Um, more often than not these days, I'm when it comes to companies and organizations, we are doing things around mindfulness and meditation almost exclusively at this point. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I, I just try to keep keep in mind the audience. You know, it, it, it's it's very important that I that I understand what will resonate with them and speak to that. Yeah. More and more mindfulness and meditation are being accepted. I'm seeing that yeah. it's constantly increasing because it is an effective medicine. I mean, we're, we're exploring health on this season here, these group of episodes and why it was important for me to have you on. And, um, cause we haven't done an episode. We, uh, so focused on meditation recently and, uh, on, on the mind and, I like how in this conversation, it's not separate. I don't feel it separate from your other work, your counseling, your supporting, the way you support. It's like part of who you are, which I appreciate. Uh, it's integrated in, in who you are because I do think mindfulness, yes, it is a accessible thing for everybody to do for five minutes on Headspace or on an app, but um, it is it is much beyond that too. Like my, I think we've gone there. We've heard from your really rich experience with it. We've gone from We've gone beyond it. Um, it is a, it is kind of, um, it, like there is a, it is a medicine. It is applicable right now, but there's so much depth to it too. So I think that I, I want to see people get started too. And I also, something I want to see in the world is, um, the appreciation of the traditions it comes from too, of like learning about the history of it, which you've done, um, like study with great teachers, uh, not like, I don't want to diminish people using it as a hack to feel less stress and less. Like that's the starting point, and I think, but uh, I just wanted to reflect that that I think that it's uh, it's part of the medicine right now for our our mental health crisis in the world. I think it is really it cannot be neglected. I would say so. It's important to me to talk about that with you. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the statistics studies around the impact of mindfulness around stress around mental health that you could share with us today? I don't actually know. Um, the latest information around that. Yeah. Um, well, in, I think even more relatable is just the experience, like the experiential benefit um, or some of the benefits that can come. And, you know, when we talk about stress, often what is what's influencing stress the most? And we sort of touched on it already. And that's not just that thing, thoughts are happening, but that we're believing each and every thought and physiologically we are kind of looping back and forth with what kind of a state this creates in the body. You know, maybe our breath changes and our posture changes, and then that influences our mind and we go back and forth. Um, what mindfulness can do is make us aware of things that we weren't aware of, you know, like that maybe we're not breathing that deeply and the breath has a tremendous impact on how we feel. Um, or that we don't feel our body at all, that we're fully immersed in this realm of the mind and we're missing out on the richness of what does it feel like to be in this body in this moment? Um, and at first it sounds boring to the mind, um, but deepening attention into, okay, how does it actually feel to stand here or to sit here, 
to take this breath, to chew this food, maybe without a screen in front of you. <laughs> Good luck. But it is possible, believe it or not. Um, and, you know, approaching the everyday with more curiosity and interest, the everyday moments that would otherwise just not be that interesting. And instead, with some level of curiosity and awe, um, it can it can change things quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, just some thoughts that I have on that. For people who want to connect with you or learn more about your work, how do you recommend them connecting or reaching out? Um, a couple ways. Uh, you can go to my website, yonalevy.com. Uh, you can also go to Instagram at yonalevy. Um, at either one of those places, but particularly the website, there's a contact tab. You can reach out to me. Um, you can uh, email me directly at thrive at yonalevy.com. And we can just have a conversation. Like it always starts with a conversation. And um, if if there's something that I offer that you're interested in, um, I, I, I'd love to talk more. I, I work as a coach one-on-one uh, -on -one with people and we go in a lot of different areas regarding bringing people back to peace and then from there thriving. Um, and I also work with different businesses bringing mindfulness and meditation so any of those, uh, mo mostly what I do, I have some online courses as well. Uh, I have one on insight timer right now, um, more to come. So yeah. I was enjoying checking out all your links through Instagram recently, uh, to prepare for this and started your course on fear and reading some of your blogs on that too. And, uh, maybe we could just close out with that a little brief, uh, discussion too on because I noticed one of your recent blogs is about fear. It's something on my mind too, is how, what fear means and how to, how to work with it. So maybe that's like a closing thought. I'd love to hear a little bit about that from you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so very important. I think fear is, you know, just the hardest thing to deal with. Um, and actually it is positive. Um, I've heard Tara Brock talk about it as nature's protector. Um, you know that it actually is wired into us to keep us safe, but when it's on overdrive, that's when we, it's important to sort of intentionally take the wheel and realize, okay, there's more fear than is helpful. And it's not always, um, a hundred percent. Um, we, but the more that we simply acknowledge, okay, this is what's happening. This is what physically feels like. These are the thoughts. Um, and there are a lot of tools to do that. Then we can start to have some space between what, what is being experienced and being the actual experiencer of what is, um, in the experience. So there's that little bit of space, even the smallest amount can be incredibly helpful. Um, and there are tons of techniques, um, from naming to moving the body like sometimes that's the best thing is to just don't stay still and try to figure it out go take a walk or a run or go to the gym or do something that like gets this stuff out of your body uh it's so important um and you know social support is incredibly important you know not knowing you're not alone with with your deepest fears often if you share them with someone you trust you'll find that it's it becomes very normalizing you know someone who is safe and they might say, you know, I've had that experience too. And 
um, you know, it's, it's important to know also the mind is, uh, often a liar, you know, it, it creates movies that, you know, don't turn out to be true, but they're totally felt in the moment. And so realizing, okay, I'm creating this experience and there are a lot of ways to recreate the experience to have a better experience. Thanks for sharing those insights. Definitely a topic on my mind and alive for me. I know others too. Uh, yeah. So thanks for sharing that work on it. And I also want to thank you for this conversation. I feel closer to you. Just learned a lot about, you know, really appreciate your vulnerability in this conversation too. And uh, bringing me up to date on your work as well. So just uh, grateful to spend this time with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's been a real pleasure. And um, um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to share some things that I don't usually share you know, publicly. And, and, and hopefully people can hear some of this and realize you know, what maybe seems really tough in their lives, it, it's possible to go beyond that and to have a better quality of life maybe than ever before. Thanks for sharing that message. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Yona Levy. As always in the season, we're going to have a health tip now from my co-host and producer Ari Rubens. Ari, what do you got for us today? I got a fantastic health tip for people looking to deepen their meditation posture. Originally, yoga asanas or yoga poses were just four poses. Uh, easy pose with your cross, your cross legs. And another one is lotus pose where you see where your feet are all the way wrapped up to your hips. So the way to develop more flexibility for that pose is through butterfly position. Butterflies where your feet are together and your knees are apart. The yogis back in the day realized that most people, when they had these four postures to meditate in, couldn't sit. So they started to develop more training programs. But one of the best ones you can do is that butterfly position. So feet together, knees apart. You can do this on the ground. Place your hands behind you for to support your back and lift your knees up and down, up and down, up and down about a hundred times, nice and slow. Do this before your seated meditation. Um, that will really help build more flexibility. Now, if that's still uncomfortable to sit in an easy pose, which means your legs are crossed or any other seated position, know that the uh, spiritual teacher Buddha has taught people to meditate in four ways. Standing, lying down, sitting, like I'm explaining, in easy pose, or walking. So you have four options as well to start and cultivate a great meditation, a consistent meditation practice. So that's my health tip. Find ways around making your meditation practice more at ease and more uh, stable and comfortable. Thanks for sharing that, Ari. I can definitely relate to that, that uh, that feeling like sitting cross-legged for a long time was a boundary on my meditation practice. And it's great to remember that yoga's original intention really was to prepare us to sit for a long time in meditation and to not let that stop you too. I hear you saying that too. We don't need to let it stop us from meditating. If we can't sit comfortably, it's something to work towards. In our Western bodies, we sit in chairs so much that we're not comfortable getting into that lotus position. I'm not comfortable yet. So I think that's really important uh, to anyone who's listening to this who feels like sitting is a barrier to them meditating. 
that mindfulness is accessible to anybody, anybody. As long as you have a mind, you can be mindful, I would say. So thank you again for sharing that tip. And thanks again to everybody listening out there. Definitely like and subscribe this. Let us know if you have any to this episode. Let us know if you have any questions. If you have any questions for Ari on meditating, you can uh, send us an email, fourgardenspodcast at gmail.com or write a comment. Um, I'm happy to answer those questions too and connect you to teachers that have been on the podcast or other resources. Uh, but once again, thanks again for thanks for listening and keep on growing.